Hey, podcast family, this is Albert Tate. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are having a ball. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I hope you're talking about it. I hope you're telling your friends about it. I hope you are having a good time. Listen, today in this series, where all this season is all about moments that shaped us, um, this season, this episode, um, it's for those that may be discouraged a little bit. You may be looking outside and saying, man, the, my world is darker now than it ever has been before. And you may be needing a little hope. Well, today, hope is going to shape you. Uh, we got the hope dealer in the house. Her name is Danielle Strickland. Uh, she is a global ambassador for the kingdom of God. I don't know any other way to describe her. She's an amazing communicator, an amazing advocate for those uh, who, who are under-resourced and underprivileged. She's traveled all across the globe, but today she is here with me and we have an amazing, inspiring conversation. If you need a little hope, grab a cup of coffee, grab some chips, if you're like me, you want the ruffles with the sour cream cheddar, grab that. I don't know if it goes with coffee well, you know, but whatever. Grab your stuff, sit down, and prepare to be inspired and encouraged by my friend, Danielle Strickland. Stadia has had the honor of helping hundreds of great leaders start new churches. We have a passionate desire to make sure that every child on the planet can experience the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ through the local church. This vision compels us to ask one very important question. Who's next? Who are the leaders that God is raising up to plant new churches? Who are the leaders that, that will answer the call to say, I'll follow, I'll raise up this generation, the next generation to know Jesus Christ and to change the world forever? Are you ready to start your church planting journey? Perhaps you know someone who is. Stadia is ready to help and we'll be with you every step of the way because we won't stop until every child has a church. Danielle Strickland is here um, after a great flight of drinking uh, in first class. Um, not true, unlimited, none of it. Unlimited. No drinking and no you, first class. You don't fly first class? I do not. I don't. Why don't you fly first class? Because I'm just one of many people in a sea of people. That's it. In coach? I fly in coach, yeah. In, yeah intentionally, obviously. Because you no. ought to have enough miles to upgrade. Yeah, I've got mile issues because I moved to America, so I had I started fresh with Delta, and then so I get upgraded a lot more with Delta, but it, and then I I just moved back to Canada, so I'm like starting again with my Air Canada points. But so when you were with Delta, would you take the upgrade to first class? Um, I would take it on some flights. Yeah. Is this a moral issue? No. It's just kind of whatever. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know, the first time I ever, you know, I I spent 22 and a half years as an officer in the Salvation Army. Okay. And uh, we, you know, you don't make any money. That's part of the deal. Right. So I'm just used to like, you know, and there's this famous Salvation Army pioneer officer named George Scott Railton. Mm -hmm. And he's the guy that like took the Salvation Army like to everywhere. Like yeah. he just was like a global machine of yeah. evangelism and yeah. aggressive sort of Salvation Army-ness. Yeah. And uh, he used to always travel third class in the train system, even in India, like everywhere, third class. And someone once said to him, you know, why, don't you, why do you travel third class? And he said, because there's no fourth. <laughs> nice. So, nice. but you will take an upgrade. To yeah, first of course class. I will. My first okay. time on a first class upgrade, I like I was served the appetizer, right? Uh -huh. And I was coming back from some like I'd spent a year in Russia or something, like some crazy, and so I was like hungry. And 
I remember I'm in first class, I'm just like, this is not happening, you know, like I'm in Disneyland, and they bring the appetizer plate, and I remember going, oh, no, I forgot how rich people eat, right? Like, it's all, like, smoked salmon, yeah, like, tiny yeah. little. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm so hungry. So I just ate all of it anyway, like, the whole plate, yeah. and then I ate the bun basket, because I'm like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta eat. And then the lady comes, and she goes, oh, you're you're done the appetizer, and then she brought out like a real meal, which uh -huh. I didn't realize was coming. Oh, you thought that was the real meal. I thought that was it. You're like, these rich people, come on. They don't a know sister, how to eat. A sister is hungry. That's right. <laughs> so. Danielle Strickland, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thanks for taking some time. Yeah, it's a joy. At Exponential, what are you excited about? What excites you most to communicate to church planners, people that are here dreaming about planning a church, that people that are watching, thinking and discerning about praying and going and living their life on mission, what's the message that you are excited to always speak to them? Well, I am, I mean, I am personally, especially at this season of my life, I am so hopeful right now about the church and the world. Like, I just, I feel like we're, we're at a, I feel like we're at this um, threshold of opportunity like we haven't seen before. Hmm. Um, and I think what it looks like is it looks like chaos. It looks like global chaos and even national chaos in the American scene. But yeah. what I see is opportunity everywhere. Mm. And so I'm really excited about that. I think the finest hour, the church's finest hour is coming right up. Now tell me, how are you translating that to opportunity? Well, what first of all, I think the see? principles are clear in that, you know, in the creation of, the, of all things in Genesis, you know, where there's chaos. Yeah and the spirit of god is hovering over the chaos and like can't like sort of the image in in the hebrew story is like a mother bird who like begins to give birth and what she gives birth to out of the chaos is light and sky and expanse and foundations and you know multiplication and all yeah. these things so i really feel like the more chaos there is in the world the more we should be looking for what god is hovering and waiting to birth in the world. So I kind of partly I'm like addicted to like chaotic places being opportunity just in, in, wow. in theology, you know. Yeah. But also I just feel like, like I was in, um, I was in uh, Lebanon and the Jordan last year trying to understand some of the Syrian uh, refugee crisis. And I was with this, um, I was with this uh, worker from World Relief and she was, she had just talked to her mother on the phone and her parents, she was in Jordan and she was, they're seeing like so many Muslim families, Syrian refugee families come to faith. I mean, like sovereignly, even just in dreams and visions of Muslims uh, coming into understanding who Jesus is. Yeah. It's really exciting. And uh, she's talking to her mom, she's American, and her mom's saying like, we're here in the news, this is getting way too dangerous, it's time to come back home. Like we love your justice flair, you know, wow. but it's time to come back home. It's not safe there. And this girl said, I told my mom, she said, you made me pray my whole life. You had a picture on the wall of the 1040 window and you prayed for your whole generation. Make a way, God, make a way for the unreached people groups of the world to hear the gospel. Wow. And now he's made a way and you want me to come home. Wow. And I just, I remember standing there listening to this chick going, Wow, like I, and all of a sudden it flipped from greatest refugee crisis to greatest opportunity for the gospel. And I'm talking to another friend of mine in Canada and she, she got a vision from God. Uh, she's really missional. She spent years planning churches in other countries and, um, and now she's sort of at a church that sends people out. So she's kind of like multiplying her influence. 
And, uh, and she said, I got this, I, I was asking the Lord, like, is this really what I'm supposed to do to stay at this like kind of suburban church and send other people? Cause I, you know, I'm built for this and please send me somewhere, you know? And God says, I want you to go nowhere. So she's like, literally said to her, nowhere. That's what she, she's like, okay, fine, I'll stay. Like nowhere must mean nowhere, you know? Like, so I'll just stay and I'll try to live contented and like, just do what I'm told. And then that night she's watching the news and there's a reporter at the largest refugee camp in Kenya and he's outside the refugee camp and he's saying on the news, she's watching the news and he says, I'm at this camp, you know, names it and then says, this is loosely translated nowhere. And my friend says, oh, wow. oh nowhere, like is a place. <laughs> wow. So she goes to nowhere. And she starts to understand, as, and she starts to take a look at this, this refugee crisis in the world. And she, then she hears this speech by the UN uh, Secretary General. And he says, all we're mandated to do at the UN is to keep people alive, but we can't actually give them life. So we need faith communities to help us. Oh, wow. So she's like, okay, I've just been invited by the UN Secretary General, as has the entire church, oh, wow. to go to places where people are on hold with their life for 20 to 25 years, average lifespan of a refugee camp, where the church is happening. There's already indigenous churches there, so we don't need to go necessarily start them. We just need to resource the church mm. to reach the people, because in 20 years, they're going back mm. to the places that were once closed to the gospel. So she just, like, she tells a story, and I'm just like, what? Like we are literally like, I feel like, I mean, when I talk about it, I get all unglued because I get so excited about the possibilities that are mm -hmm. happening right now. What's the biggest, what's the biggest, what's the thing that you're most excited to leverage in this next season of your life in ministry? For me, it's this thing, Brave Global. So I, you know, Noemi Chavez is here. She's one of the MCs yep. at this event. Yeah, yeah. So Noemi and I co-founded this campaign called the Brave Global Campaign. No way. So I've been, 22 years, I've been trying to combat human trafficking. I've been chaplain in brothels, I've been dragging women off the street, I've been like trying to like spread awareness and break up, you know, pimping strategies. I was, I've been doing all kinds of things, 22 and a half years. And uh, I was in the back of a massage parlor, the, this brothel with this madame and who owns and operates about three of these things, all dodgy, you know, like all like, uh, Anyway, she's showing me around the place. We struck up a, a really unique friendship. She's showing me around the place. I say to her, you know, you are like one of the strongest, obviously business savvy, most intelligent, beautiful women I've ever met. Why do you do this with your life? So she takes me into the back, which I know it's, I know something's wrong because she doesn't want anyone to see us. And she shuts the door and she says, let me tell you, when I was 11 years old, I ran away from my father who was raping me. I walked up the street, a guy pulled over in a truck, said, if you get in, I'll give you a safe place to stay for sex. She said, I turned my first trick. That night I cried the whole night long. She said, I turned, the second night I cried the whole night long. The third night I cried the whole night long. She said, finally, after weeks of crying, I stopped crying and I tried to make the best with what I was dealt. And she looked at me, I'll never forget, strongest woman I know, tears streaming down her face. And she says to me, where were you when I was 11? And what happened was that question was really interesting because I've been hearing those stories my whole entire life and all of those stories are the same. They're all the same. And the question, the Holy Spirit just kept repeating in my mind, where were you when she was 11? Where were you when she was 11? Where were you when she was 11? Then I moved to Long Beach and I came into contact with Noemi Chavez. We were talking about this because they were having the same conversation at their local church in Long Beach. 
And she said, we got to reach the girls. Like, we got to get to the girls that are 11. And we came across a study done nationally in America that 70 to 80% of domestic sex trafficking victims come from foster care. 70 to 80%. Wow. So then, this goes back to greatest problem is the greatest opportunity for the kingdom because yeah. we realized it was this stunning moment of like basic revelation where we went, if traffickers can target girls for exploitation, why can't the church target girls for redemption? Mm. This is not rocket science. We know their names. It's not like we're struggling against this like mystery, this like invisible forces that are like these, we know who they are. We know 80% of their names, you know? So we decided to start this campaign. So Noemi modeled it locally in Long Beach out of her church. And it targets vulnerable girls uh, for trafficking. And it, it sees them, first of all, the church reaches out, creates partnerships with the city. Second of all, it, it says, we believe in you. You know, so I talked to 1,200 marginalized, uh, possibly vulnerable, exploited girls and said to them, you're not the problem. You're the solution to the problem. All, you hold all the power, actually. We just forgot to talk to you about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? We forgot to tell you, but we actually wow. believe that God sees the sacredness in you, made you just how you are. You know, like use your opportunities, yeah. even though they're hard, for the benefit of other girls. You know, just, I mean, it's just amazing. And then third is a partnership. Wow. So I'm like crazy because I, for the first time in 22 and a half years of fighting trafficking, which I think is, is the largest, fastest growing crime against humanity on the planet, and I feel like our generation, this will be a little bit, this will define us, I think. Yeah. It, history will look back and go, who did anything about that? Yeah. And, um, and anyway, I feel like the church is supposed to do it. Yeah. That's what the church is supposed to do. Yeah. The church is of a community of people with a kingdom divine mandate that says this impossible thing that the world literally says is impossible yeah. is possible because we know God. And God has this redemptive purpose, you know. So I just, I'm really excited about that. Wow. Yeah. Brave I'm Global. I'm excited about it now. Right. Brave Global. Brave Global. How do people get involved? Braveglobal.org, I hope. Noemi is Or it might be .com. I don't, I'm like, that's my worst part. Noemi is a great <laughs> friend of mine. Good. So I have to ask her about her Oh, and Josh. she's going to come unglued too because we're just, both. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. I know. When was the last time you found yourself walking in one of these places and you were actually afraid? Afraid? Yeah. Yeah, uh, fear is something that happens to me in hindsight. It's a weird thing. I'm not, uh, I'm not inclined to be afraid. I kind of get excited at adventure. So because I'm a lot not... of people have got to ask you that because the, the places that you're going, yeah. the things that you're doing, the, like, because most people that will feel the tug to do something risky, yeah. fear grips them first. Right. So how are you navigating not allowing fear to stop you from being faithful to what God's calling you to do. That's what I'm after. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you know, that Elizabeth Elliott phrase is a good one, right? Where even if you're not, af even if you're afraid, sometimes you have to just do it afraid. Yeah. So I feel like fear is kind of in the, you know, it's in a category of like static, you know, of, um, like paralysis. It's yeah. not, as soon as the action happens, no one's afraid anymore. Yeah. So the only way to combat fear is to actually go ahead and do it. Just do it. I think that, I think fear has to be confronted to be overcome. So I wish there was a way around it, but I yeah. think the only way is through it. it. When was the last time you did something crazy and when you got home, you were like, oh wow, I should have been probably a little bit more fearful. <laughs> oh my gosh. I actually haven't done crazy, crazy things lately. Um, 
Yeah, but there are a couple, like, I was going to tell you this about fear. This is really interesting because I think sometimes we perceive uh, fear and it's a wrong perception. Okay. So I, I did a brothel chaplaincy uh, ministry and started this brothel chaplaincy network across Australia. And I lived there for a few years and started okay. this thing. And uh, we went to this one brothel, and, and prostitution's legalized there, so brothels are legal. So yeah. it's just sort of there's your friendly neighborhood brothel, kind of 7-Eleven, you know, whatever, brothel. dry cleaner brothel. And um, anyway, we went to this one brothel that was like a really dark, horrible, it was a bondage brothel. So it was all like terrible, terrible, terrible things. And I remember when I first went in there, and when you, when you come in, they take you into this like dark room, and they shut the door and you're all by yourself in this brothel, like this little like booth. And then someone opens the other door and comes in, sort of like, what do you want? Oh, wow. And I remember in that place going, I'm in, I just stepped into a dark place. You know what I mean? Wow. Like where you're yeah. like, okay, this is some kind of dark, right? Yeah. And, uh, and the, the girl said, what do you want? And I was like, well, I'm a, I'm a chaplain. So I wondered if there's any women here that might want someone to talk to or someone to pray with, or if there's any way I can support you. And I remember this woman going, I'll be right back. And she like left and shut the door behind her. And now I'm like back in this. Left in the dark room. Now I'm back in this dark room. <laughs> and that was kind of like a moment where I was like, ooh, I might not, like this might not yeah. be the best approach to this. I'm not really sure. But then she came back in and she goes, well, yeah, would you start with me? She said, I just had to clear it by the manager. And I was like, great. And so I pray. So then I started praying with this girl in this dark like bondage room. I mean, it was, wow. it was quite, and light came and hope came. And then she's like, come meet my friends. And then I go into the back. So this, so this strikes up this relationship. So they're on our weekly route of visitation and we're less afraid, you know, than we've ever been before. And the manager calls me aside a couple weeks later and she says, look, when you come here, can you stop coming in the front? And I was like, why? She goes, I'd prefer you to come in the back. I said, why? She said, there's a back door. It'll get you right into the place you want to talk to the girls. I said, why? She said, well, you're scaring our customers. And I thought, that's so funny because your customers scare the heck out of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I'm scaring the customers scaring for them. real life. They're scared of a chaplain. Wow. And see, that's the thing about the kingdom. Like, I feel like we don't, see, we just don't, like the devil's scared. Mm. Darkness is scared. Like yeah. the customers are scared, the mm. brothel's scared. See what I'm saying? It's oh, not you're preaching, me. You're it's preaching. not me that you're needs preaching. to be. And that I don't think we get that enough. We don't see it enough, yeah. but we should. We really should. I think that's really encouraging somebody that's listening to this and that's watching Good. this right now. Good. I think. I, I don't think. I think they overestimate the power of fear and underestimate the power of faith. And when light breaks into the darkness, you're right. Darkness should be afraid. And if you believe what we, like, if we actually believe what we say, yeah. we sh I mean, we should practice it. Yeah. Shouldn't we? We should practice it. That's amazing. So, like, my buddy Robbie Dolby, I'll give you another story that comes yeah. to mind. Uh, Robbie Dolby, he's this uh, crazy, he was like Mohawk. He came off the streets as a heroin addict, all this kind of stuff. And we were in this prayer meeting in this drug-addicted, like, slum place called the downtown east side of Vancouver. Mm. This drug-addicted city, 7,000 injecting drug users in eight blocks. Oh, wow. It's a containment. It's, it's, it's insane. I was just there last weekend. Anyway, we church planted incarnationally, so we moved into the neighborhood and we began to, like, make friends. So, again, this is like no one even drives through that neighborhood. Like, it's one of those fear-based yeah, yeah. that actually makes it stuck because everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid of it. But once yeah. you, like, you know... 
But anyway, so we're in this prayer meeting, and someone's saying to Rob, and he's, he's, you know, he's newly saved, so he's really just believing God, which is great, isn't it? We yeah. should all just be around newly saved yeah. people and remind ourselves that the stuff is true. There's no you know? limits. Right. There's no limits. And somebody prays for him and says, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Just like start saying this in this prayer meeting. And you know that a fine line between like prophetic, you know, ministry and mental illness? <laughs> It's a thin That's line. Thin. I know it well. So Rob I know lives, several people that dance Yeah, on that so line. Rob lives yeah. right on that line already, let alone like <laughs> after this kind of a comment. But anyway, so he's like, so he's, he's like, I'm the light of the world. And I remember he just goes, ah, and he like runs out of this meeting place we were in and he goes running down the street and everyone's like, oh no, we've lost Rob. Like, where's Rob going? You know? So I go out and follow Rob because I'm the one that's kind of mentored Rob. So I go out and I follow Rob and I see him. He's standing in this park in the center of this drug addicted city. And the, the park is nicknamed Needle Park. It's like the darkest, like the, the cops don't even go in there. And he's standing in the middle of the park with his arms out like this. And he's just standing there, like with his head up to heaven like this. And so all of us are kind of like out in the back going like, what's he doing? What's he doing? You know, finally, like I go up and I go, Rob, like, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm being the light of the world. And he looks at me and he goes, can you feel the darkness trembling? And you know, it's so funny because I was like, I kind of could. Oh, Danielle, you're preaching. I could feel the you're darkness preaching. tremble. And tremble they should oh. because light belongs in the darkness. Oh. Come on. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's so good. Right. Oh, I feel the darkness trembling right now. Right. I like it. We all should be like Rob. That yes. is the best. We all should be like Rob. How, um, how good does it feel to see God's hand moving across the country, across the world? and to be reminded in such intimate ways of God's faithfulness. You know, a lot of people, they really think that these are dark days, but I think you're right. I think these are yeah. great opportunity days. Yeah. And the light is strong. Yeah. Um, I, just, I just love to hear from your heart. How, what does it feel like to be in this season of your life doing what you get to be doing? I have never been more excited yeah. in my whole entire life yeah. about like the future. It's really bizarre, but I actually, I think it goes back to Pentecost weekend last year. Hmm. I, I was in Salzburg, uh, Austria, and at a Catholic youth event. So that's all random already. Oh, yeah. Okay, we got some random oh, yeah. things. You got, you got a lot of random. Okay, so I'm in Salzburg at this 9,000 Catholic kids in this old, like, vintage cathedral. Yeah. Like, the most majestic, like, crazy, ancient Catholic cathedral. Pentecost weekend. Now, the day before I go to that event, I'm at the Foursquare Global Gathering, and I'm talking to the president of Foursquare. I'm saying, what are you excited about? What do you see going on in the world? He says, well, he tells me a few things about Foursquare, but then he says, what I'm kind of excited about, like in a weird, like, what's going to happen way, is tomorrow I'm on the way to the Vatican. And I say, what? <laughs> You're on the way where? He says, I'm going to the Vatican because the Pope has invited 40 Pentecostal denominational leaders to come to the Vatican on Pentecost to pray that God might do a move of his Holy Spirit on the earth like we've never seen before. Wow. So then that weekend, I know they're all praying at the Vatican. I'm at this Catholic youth event, and they say to me, Danielle, just tell these 9,000 kids, like, just tell them all about Jesus. Just tell them all about Jesus. So I'm just like, well, okay. <laughs> like, that's, what, that's all I know anyway, right? So, 
So I tell him all about Jesus, and I'm like, I, I do like the best I can explaining like salvation and what happened to me and what could happen to them and this invitation they have to encounter Jesus. So I'm like, who wants to say yes, you know, with their life for Jesus? And they all, like 9,000 of them, like, yes, you know. So then I think, oh, wow. no, I've done one of those, like, watered-down pitches. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, oh, I've become one of those people, you know. So I'm like, sit, sit back down. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not, I don't mean just yes to Jesus. I mean, like, who will die? Like, who will suffer? Like, I'm talking allowance money, you know. Like, I'm talking, like, sponsor a kid. Like, I'm, like, I'm just like, like, I'm talking, like, your friends won't like you, and you might get unfriended, like, or you might, you know. Oh, wow. And, um. Who's in, you know, and they all stand up again. Yes, yeah, they start chanting, yes, yes, yes. So I'm like, I don't, like, I'm out. I don't know what to do. Like, I, I'm paralyzed. I don't, this never happens to me. <laughs> so then we say, okay, well, just like, who's saying this for the first time in their life? They've never made it, you know, so a thousand kids come for the first time to make commitments to Jesus. And they pile up at the front, and one of the priests, comes and he says actually and he opens this like section of the church that's just where the communion sits and Jesus is and like yeah, you know like yeah. that it's all like off the, limits the, yeah the big part yeah. and he opens it up and he goes all the new believers can come in here and all these thousand kids pile around the altar and these priests start praying for them it's like I have never felt like hope for God to do something that I could not conceive of or imagine possible. Then 5,000 of these kids pour out of this meeting after this happens, and they, they climb this like 40 minute like trip up this massive hill overlooking Europe, and they start praying. For an hour and a half they pray. Wow. They're praying that God will do something in the world. They're praying that God will save Europe. They're praying that God will save, and that one of the kids gets the mics, and he starts praying for ISIS. And he says, God, we believe right now that what you did to change Saul into Paul, you can do with the most zealous ISIS leaders. Unbelievable. And I'm standing there so convicted because I was still thinking that God needed to drop a bomb on ISIS. Mm. I forgot that we serve a God who's in the business of the impossible. Like, You're preaching, Danielle. Oh. So I, I was like, oh yeah. Like, save them. Like, I, it was like such a rebuke, but also such a possibility. Yeah. And it was just like wave after wave after wave of hopefulness wow. began to like launch in me. And I realized that God was going to take the, the deadest church in the deadest part of the world in the most unlikely place. And through like, I mean, we're just living in a time like we're living in a time where you couldn't imagine this in church history, that the yeah. Pope would invite Pentecostals, not just Christian, yeah. no, Pentecostals. To yeah. come and pray for him. Yeah. I mean, what what what's happening? That's amazing. What's happening? That's amazing. You can't make this stuff up. God's happening. God's and happening. He's doing it through His church. It's, it's so the cool. time. If you could join any musical ensemble of all times, which would it be? Earth, Wind, and Fire. How, <laughs> my girl! I liked you before. I'm I'm How I'm. How could you say no to now. brass? I mean, brass. Oh like, like, it, That's such a. It's like everything, isn't it? And you it's look everything. like you got some moves too. You look like you could dance no, a little bit. No, I can't dance. Uh, I, it's so embarrassing. But it actually. looks like you try. Yeah. I can tell. Like I can right. see that trying. Right. That yeah. I, can I got see it, it on, on the you. inside. I'm dancing <laughs> on the inside most of the time. What is something that everyone else loves that you think is just overrated? Huh? What is something that everybody else loves that you think is overrated? I, maybe like Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah, I get that. I don't get it. I never watched it, but I think it's overrated. There okay. you go. How about that? What is uh, what other profession 
would you consider if you weren't doing what you're doing now? Oh my gosh, I was thinking about that the other day. You know, the one thing that I always wanted to do that I never did was be a bicycle courier. A bicycle courier? I just always wanted to do it and I never did it. And I feel like it's sort of this like undone thing that you I should. Your window? You can yeah. go back. You can... I'm thinking maybe. I think if there's anything you could go back and do, I think you can pull that yeah, off. Yeah, do you remember Quicksilver? It was like a big, big movie with Kevin Bacon. Yeah, and he yeah, was like yeah, this yeah. really cool like bicycle courier. And I always, uh... then I got the fever to be a bicycle courier. And I lived in a big city and I was like, I could do that. And then I... <laughs> That's hilarious. So there you go. What is something you're bummed that you're still not good at? That you're still bad at? Huh. That I'm still bad at? Yeah. Like dancing. That, there you go, there you go. I should know how to dance by now. I've had like a lot of years to work on it. You might not it. be as bad as you think though. Nah, I'm I pretty don't know. bad. Uh, what is something you used to say that you don't say anymore? <laughs> uh, yeah, like pre-salvation? A lot yeah, of- Yeah, whatever. I don't, yeah, I can I don't tell use you the F word much anymore. <laughs> what I love about that is you said, I don't use it much anymore. <laughs> I love that. I love that. What is um, what is something you pray a lot about, but you don't talk about? Huh. Um. Yeah, probably humility. Mm, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, or maybe pride. It depends on what side. Like what side my own, yeah. like yeah. probably my own issues. Yeah. You know, yeah. my own journey. Yeah, that makes inward, sense. Inward journey. Yeah. When was the last time you had to say I'm sorry? Uh, like yesterday to my son. Really? Yeah. yeah. I say I'm sorry like yeah. I'm Canadian. Yeah. It's almost all I say. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is something that is often misunderstood about you? I think people have a, yeah, I think people think that I am still like frontline ministry because all the stories I tell are mm -hmm. from frontline ministry. So I think that's often misunderstood. Mm, got it. Um, what is an area in your leadership that you're just, you're still really growing in? an area in my leadership that I'm still really growing in. I think um, definitely, I don't, I don't know how to put it, but probably like strategic um, planning. Yeah. That's probably yeah. the best way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Last one, favorite cuss word. Oh, I've got so many. Come on. Like in what language? <laughs> like in English? Pick one and give it to me, it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, I like one of my favorite quotes is what I define as the sound of revelation is holy It's the sound of revelation? Yeah. That's when you know someone's got it. Oh. Every time. Well, let me tell you something. Holy you got it. Danielle Strickland. <laughs> Wonderful to meet you. Thanks for talking to us. It was good.